we're going to be having a get-together, a party uh, for uh, the Kodish family. And uh, like we've been talking about, Don and the kids are going to be here, but Anthony's going to be taking off. So that's at the outpost at 1 o'clock, and you're welcome to come, and we'll be in a big room uh, there. The second thing I want to say is that this evening and next Sunday, I'm concluding my series on the life of Joseph. And we're at that pivotal place where finally Joseph is made prime minister of Egypt, second in charge only to Pharaoh himself, the most powerful monarch of that time. And all of a sudden, his brothers appear, for him, appear before him, the very brothers who threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. And he tests his brothers and... We're going to be talking about that and how they pass the test and how Joseph responds by weeping and making that famous statement and what it means. You meant it for my harm, but God meant it for my good. Let's focus on this morning right now. If you have your Bibles... I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for a number of weeks, spent uh, almost, uh, I've done nine messages through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we've been looking at verses 4 through 8, 4 through 8, and let's look at our scripture one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, I'd invite you to pull out those message notes. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not envy, it is not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. In fact, it is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. It is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. Out of all the messages that I preached through this particular series, this is the most topical and this is the most practical. And I would say this is the most needed message especially when you look at in light of the fact that this is the last Sunday in December of 2014. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would help me to make a word plain to where we're at in our lives. This, these simple thoughts are so simple that often they get overlooked, or they're so simple that we think, oh, no big deal. But it's much more difficult to put these things into practice. And that's what I'm asking. I'm asking that we not only be open to your word this morning, but that we can apply these things to our lives. For we know that with your strength and with your help, 
that we can love like you want us to love and we can act like you want us to act. We understand that apart from you, we can do nothing and we need your supernatural presence. We need your empowerment to often love people that are difficult to love, to go through certain situations, to be long-suffering, to be patient, to be kind, to not be prideful, to speak the truth in love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to begin with a, a story that I read this past week. I heard about this elderly couple, and they were having a problem with their memory. They were having a problem with their memory. Anybody have problems with their memories? Come on, let's be honest this morning. I feel like I fit in that category. I'm only in my mid-50s. But they were having a problem in their memory, uh, with their memory. And this, these folks are in their 80s. And so they went to the doctor. And the doctor said, you know, what you need to do is you need to write down everything. You need to write down everything. Just write down everything uh, that, you, that, that, you, that you've done and you won't forget if you write down all these things. The next night, they were watching television, and the wife said, I sure would like a bowl of ice cream. And the husband said, well, I'll get it for you. And she said, well, you better write it down so you won't forget it. He goes, oh, don't be so silly. I'm not going to forget between the living room and the kitchen to get you a bowl of ice cream. And a few minutes later, he came back into the room with a plate of eggs and bacon <laughs> and his wife in response said to him she shook her head and she said I, I should have known it I should have known it you forgot my toast <laughs> I know that's corny now there are some things that we need to remember and there are some things that we need to forget there are some things that we need to remember and there are some things that we need to forget. As I just mentioned, I'm concluding my series. This is the last message in this series that we've been going through. And we've been looking at the Corinthian church and we've been discovering, we discovered that the Corinthian church didn't always get along with one another. They didn't always get along with their spiritual leaders. They often disagreed with one another. There were people that took one another to court. They were suing one another. There were people who weren't that patient with one another. And so the Apostle Paul writes this soaring letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this love letter, in the midst of the abuses of the spiritual gifts and all of this other stuff. And he has been telling us, love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it is not rude. Love is not easily angered, and love speaks the truth. And this morning... In verse 7, this is what we see. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Circle always. It never fails. Here's the Phillips translation. Love knows no limits to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can really outlast anything. But where do you get that kind of love? And what do you do when you feel like that love is running out? What do you do when you feel like your love is running on empty? Have you ever been there? We've all been there. 
If you are in the people-intensive business, that means if you're a psychologist or a social worker or a nurse or perhaps a waitress, if you are in the people-intensive business, there are times, there are times where these people say, I just can't look at one more person. I can't face another need. I can't face another problem. I cannot face another demand. I cannot face another heartache. I just can't face it. There have been times in ministry, not here of late, but in the near past, a few years ago, where I got so burnt out that I'd be walking in the grocery store and I'd see someone that I knew and I'd walk down the different aisle of the grocery store. Have you ever done that? Come on, let's be honest. And so, what do you do when this love that you know you're supposed to have is running on empty? Obviously, my love is dried up at times. Where do you get that kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres? I watched a documentary one time a number of years ago and I saw this big airliner and it was a it was filled full of jet fuel and I saw this jet that came alongside of it aside of it and they put out the nozzle to refuel that jet in midair. They can do that. Now what would happen to that jet if the basically the pilot said, I'm not going to refuel that jet would crash and that jet would burn. And so, in a long-distance relationship, to make love last, we have to know how to refuel this love in our life. And the landscape is littered with debris of relationships that have crashed and have burned. How do you make love last? Well, I think there are three habits. I think there are three habits. There are three things, three basic habits that we need to develop the habits of a loving heart. First of all, I need to develop... I need to develop the habits that refresh me physically. I need to develop the habits that refresh me physically. Most people don't understand that their physical condition and their tiredness or their lack of sleep or their physical fatigue or emotional fatigue does affect their love life, the ability to love other people, and does affect their spiritual life because it is closely tied with one another. Here are some warning signs. Here are some warning signs that you need to be refreshed, refreshed physically. Always feeling fatigued. Always feeling tired. Always not having enough ump to hardly even clean the house. Always not having enough ump to even take out the garbage. When you are given a choice to do something physically speaking, you just don't have enough ump to do it. You don't want to clean out the garage. You don't want to clean out the cellar. You don't want to clean out the, the, the attic area. You just don't have enough ump to hardly do anything physically speaking. Number two, too tired to cure. Too tired to cure. And number three, depending upon stimulants to keep you going. How many of you like to have coffee? How many of you like to have caffeine, caffeinated co coffee? How many of you know people that drink two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight cups of coffee a day? Yeah, we do. How many of you know people and friends, perhaps you even, to drink Diet Cokes in the afternoon or Pepsi and they continue to drink Pepsi until they go to bed at night? How many of you know people that drink Red Bull like it's water? 
And the reason why is, is because we can get addicted to stimulants. And the reason why often people are addicted to stimulants is because they are physically tired. They're physically tired. This is the most practical sermon that you will hear. And we're facing a new year. And I challenge you to do these things to develop the habits that refresh you physically. So what do you do when your relationships are run down? Little issues become big issues, right? You get cranky. You get defensive. You get critical when you're physically low. Um, So what do you need to do? Here it is. It's so simple. You need your rest. You need your rest. I want you to look at the modern-day paraphrase of Psalm 127, verse 2. Notice in your message notes. It's senseless. It's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night. God wants you to get your proper rest. Did you know that rest is so important that God made it one of the Ten Commandments? Did you know that? He made it one of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that God rested on the seventh day after he created creation? Did God need that rest? Why did God rest on the seventh day? He rested because theologians believe that he set an example for his people. You need to rest. You need to change it up. You need not only to worship one day a week, but you need to do something totally different on your day of rest. If you are... I I know I'm speaking to the choir. I know that. And I know it's very, very difficult. But if you are not taking one day in seven to do something different from your normal routine, you're breaking the Sabbath. This is The Sabbath was made for us, for our rest. Let's go on here. It's getting kind of quiet. I told you this is going to be very, very practical this morning. The most practical message you'll hear from me all year. Balanced diet. Balanced diet. Are you kidding me? Do you know what I have in my refrigerator right now? I have a banana. I have a banana cream pie. Do you know what I had Friday night? I had a peanut butter pie. And did you know I came this close to having two pieces? It was only because I'm preaching this message that I didn't have three pieces. And I've got fudge, and I've got these chocolate buddies, and I've got all this stuff right on my table, and it's right there. Do you know what people give us from the church at Christmas time? They give us candy, candy, and jelly, and all, all kinds of good stuff. So I know what I'm talking about when I, when I talk about balanced diet, and I want you to look at that scripture. You made my body, Lord. Now give me the sense to follow your laws. We know what we need to do. We just need to do it. So after the first of the year, clean out the candy, give it away, throw it in the garbage. Did I say that? No. Get rid of the candy. Eat it all up before the first of the year. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Give it away, whatever you're going to do, and start eating vegetables and fruit and get back on that balanced diet. Come on now. They've done all kinds of studies. Did you know that sugar weakens your immune system? It makes you more susceptible to disease and makes you more susceptible to illness. Well, let's go on. 
C. Regular exercise. Regular exercise. We're talking about habits that renew me physically. Regular exercise. Notice the Bible says, this is a modern day paraphrase, honor the Lord with your body. Honor the Lord with your body. Our bodies were made for activity. Did you know in biblical times, they had to walk everywhere they went? Did you know in our modern day 21st century that we live very sedentary lifestyles? Back in that day, it was an agricultural society. They had to work hard as farmers, as ranchers, as fishermen, so to speak, to make it. Today, we're lucky if we walk from the kitchen to the bedroom and from the kitchen to the bathroom. And so we're talking about exercise. And this is what Jackie Gleason, the former comedian who died a number of years ago, said. Whenever I get the urge to exercise, I lay down until it goes away. Just let out, man. Hey, I, 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 now I, I know that there's no, no one here that would ever say this, but I've heard this. I've heard it from a lot of church people over the years. You know what they've told me? Listen, this is important. I'm just too tired to exercise. Have you ever heard that? I'm just too tired to exercise. They've done all kinds of studies. If you want more energy, what do you do? You exercise. Because when you exercise, it gives you what? It gives you more energy. It gives you more energy. And it's amazing how when you walk or you do something physical, how much better you sleep at night and how much of a better perspective you get by just that simple oxygen in your brain. It's just, it's just wonders. So, so we're talking about rest. We're talking about a balanced diet. We're talking about regular exercise. Now, what are some habits that recharge us emotionally? What are some habits that recharge us emotionally? When your emotional tank is empty, you're unable to keep on loving like you're supposed to love, like we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, how do you know when you're physically uh, fatigued? Your, your eyelids get heavy. Uh, it's time to sleep. Your stomach growls when you, when you need physically recharging. But, but what are some warning signs when it comes to the oceans? Here are warning signs. A sense of being overwhelmed. You feel inadequate. You've got a shorter fuse. Outbursts of impatience. When your emotional tank is low, you tend to get angry at people you love the most. Isn't that true? You, you, you desire to avoid people. You see people as problems. You have no desire to love people when your emotional tank is, is empty. Remember the psalmist, David said, If only I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away. Ever feel like flying away? If only I had the wings of a dove, I would just fly away from it all. Overwhelmed with life. Here are three suggestions from God's Word that recharge us emotionally. Solitude. Time alone. Away from noises. Away from distractions. Solitude. I like that cartoon strip, Peanuts. Charlie Brown says to Linus, my uncle is taking a stress test. Linus says, that's great. What is it? Charlie Brown explains what a stress test is. Linus says, 
Have you ever had a stress test? Charlie Brown says, no, but I live with one. And Lucy says, what? Jesus, the Bible says, frequently withdrew from the crowds. It says he would get away when he needed to recharge himself emotionally and spiritually. Mark 6.31, so many people were coming and going. Jesus said to them, said to his disciples, said to his followers, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And they went off by themselves. And Jesus was the most ministry-intensive person that we have ever read about. And even Jesus needed to get away by himself for solitude. Now, your your emotions, my emotions are like a battery. And you put one light bulb on a battery, and it will run fine. But you put a hundred light bulbs on a battery, and pretty soon that battery is going to be drained very, very quickly. Did you know that you can get so many irons in the fire that you'll put out the fire? Did you know that? You get so many irons in the fire that you put out the fire. Did you know somebody has said that when you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are? You're not. And so we're talking about solitude. We're talking about pulling away because our emotions are like a battery. And B, recreation is so important. Recreation, though, is not rest. There are certain activities that recharge you emotionally, hobbies and interests and things that you're involved in. Now, because I use my brain a lot in my work, it always is a nice thing for me to use my hands. Uh, I'm remodeling my downstairs in my house. If I didn't have a project, I would create a project because... I just like to work with my hands because I work with my mind. Some of you, those of you who work with your mind, you need to find something to do with your hands. But some sort of hobby, some sort of activity, some sort of interest is different for different people. You need to take time for it. Uh, And whatever that is. But here's one of my favorite verses, and here it is. Jesus came enjoying life. He came enjoying life. Circle that. Again, he was the most intensive, ministry-orientated person in his earthly ministry. And yet, he still took time to have solitude. And he enjoyed the process and what he was doing. Why is it so hard to be balanced this way, what we're talking about? You know, work can become all-consuming, all from daylight to dark, we feel like we've got to make it, we feel like we've got to earn money, we feel like we've got to do this, and we feel like we've got to do that, and we feel like we're not productive unless we're always active, unless we're always involved in all kinds of stuff. Who says? It's our culture. We don't get that from the Bible. We don't see that in the Scripture. We don't see that example there. The third habit that recharges us emotionally speaking is laughter. Laughter. Develop the habit of laughter. Proverbs 17.22 Being cheerful keeps you healthy. Being cheerful keeps you healthy. And there are studies that prove that when you laugh it increases the number of T cells which raise your immunity level. 
When you laugh, it produces endorphins in your brain. Do you remember the story about the Catholic Catholic school? And there was a lunch line. And at the beginning of the lunch line was a big bucket of apples. And some nun had written, only take one because God is watching you. At the other end of the lunch line was a big thing of cookies. And one of the students had written, take as many cookies as you want because God is watching the apples. Somebody is saying, well, it needs to be a little more funny than that, Pastor, for me to laugh. Why is it so hard for us to laugh? You know, it's true, and, and, and this is what we're, I find myself, I laugh. We're, we're to take God very, very seriously, but why do we take ourselves so seriously? We're to take God seriously, but why do we take ourselves so seriously? I'm so worried about this, and I'm so worried about that. I'm so worried about my finances, I'm so worried about my job, and so worried about my health, and, and if I'm going to get my school done on time, and, and, and if I'm going to make it this way, and if we get this house over here, and we get the furniture over here, and if this ministry is going to start over here, and if the kids are going to have kids, and if we're going to spend time with the grandkids, or whatever it may be, it's exhausting. It's exhausting when you think about it. Um, Relax. Relax. It's still going to be there tomorrow. It's still going to be there next week. Relax, concern, laughter, recreation, solitude. And then we need to practice habits that renew us spiritually. Habits that renew us spiritually. The Bible says that real love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never gives up. It can outlast anything. And here are some warning signs that we are spiritually burned out. Nothing seems to be worth the effort. Nothing. Nothing seems to be worth the effort. What's the use? Life is futile, purposeless. Uh, there's no purpose to it. Blaming God for our problems. Why me? Why now? Why this? And this is what we read happen in Scripture. This is actually what we read happen in the life of David. This is what we actually read that happened in the life of Moses. This is what we actually read happen in the life of Abraham. All of these spiritual greats, they got to a place in their spiritual lives at particular times in their life that they were so burnt out that they asked the questions, Why? Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why now? Why this? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Take the time and trouble to keep yourselves spiritually fit. How do you do that? A daily quiet time. I'm so glad that I discovered I'm still time in a safe place early on in my Christian life. It's been the one key that's helped me more than anything else. A daily quiet time. If you're too busy to have a daily quiet time, you're too busy. Star. Second Corinthians chapter four verse sixteen. This is the reason we never lose heart. Our bodies does suffer, wear and tear, but every day the inner man receives fresh inner strength. Somebody writes, My time alone in the morning sets the pace of my whole life. 
my quiet time helps keep the everyday events of everyday life in proper perspective. It keeps me focused and on track. Someone else writes, when I start and end the day with a quiet time, the time in between appears to be less stressful. God's peace takes over. My quiet time is a fuel I need to keep going and the balance I need so I won't stumble. Some of us, it's in a prayer closet. It's in our study in our house. For others of us, it's outside in a special place when the weather is nice. Some of us, it's on a walk. Some of us, in a car when we're traveling someplace. Cast all your cares for God cares for you, the Bible says. You can unload your frustrations on him in a small group. B is a small group. We all know the value of being part of a small group. Three or four people, six people, ten people, no, no more than twelve people typically, where we share with one another, they share with us, we pray for them, they pray for us. That's the value, I think, of having some sort of Christian uh, recovery program. I envy those people that are in some sort of recovery program because those people become soulmates. Those people become people that you go to when you're in crisis, when you call on the phone and say, I'm really struggling. And, and what I'm trying to say is, is that we need to be part of a small group, a Sunday school class, accountability group, uh, a Bible study, a men's group, where we meet with people on a regular basis. We've talked about this before. You know all about it, but why is it so difficult for us to get involved in a small group? And then the third thing is worship. Corporate worship, individual worship. I want you to look at Psalm 59. I will sing of your strength in the morning, and I will sing of your love, for you are my refuge in times of trouble. There is something about individual and corporate worship where we're singing songs to God and we're singing songs about God. How many of you have ever put in a CD? How many of you ever put in a cassette tape player back in the day when we had a cassette tape players? And you travel across country and you're feeling kind of depressed and you're feeling kind of down and you push that CD in and you begin to sing along with the CD or you begin, begin to sing along with the cassette tape. What does it do for you? It gives you the eternal perspective. It lifts your spirit. You, you begin to feel God's presence. You begin to get hope back in your life. There is nothing as beneficial as corporate worship and individual worship. Now, I know a pastor. I know a pastor. When a person comes in for counseling, he asks the question, Did you sing the songs last Sunday? Did you sing the songs last Sunday? And if they say, no, I wasn't in a corporate worship service, I did not sing the songs last Sunday, then he tells them this. He says, go and sing the songs this Sunday and then come back to me. I've never done that. But when I heard him, do, him saying that, I thought to myself, there's some benefit to what he's talking about. Because when you participate in a corporate worship service and you sing songs to God and about God, all of a sudden you get, you get the eternal perspective. You get more of the perspective of God. I want to close this morning by sharing the story with you of Elijah. Remember Elijah, this powerful prophet of God. This man of God, who God used to perform all kinds of miracles. He was the guy that had that, you might want to say, contest with the bells of prophets. 
And he said, if the, your God is true, they call down fire from heaven. And they danced all around these bells of prophet all afternoon. And they cut themselves and they yelled and they squeaked and they did all this stuff like a bunch of uh, fleas on the back of a dog. They were just bouncing all over. Finally, they got exhausted. And he put water all over his bull and he simply prayed a simple prayer. God, I want you to show that you're true to these people. And fire came down and consumed that bull. If anybody should have been on the mountaintop, it should have been Elijah. He saw the miracles of God. He heard God speak to him. He was used tremendously of God. But he got word after he had the prophets of Baal killed, 150 plus prophets, he got the word from Queen Jezebel that the same thing was going to happen to him. He was going to be killed. His goose, goose was going to be cooked. And the Bible says that this prophet of God, this man of God who walked with God, saw all these miracles, got really, really depressed. And he ran away. He was depleted emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He was absolutely drained. You can't figure it out. It, it doesn't make sense. Why would he allow this queen to get underneath his skin? Because he was already fatigued. He was already tired. He was already exhausted. You see, when we're drained, our perspective is messed up. We just don't have that right perspective. And so what does God do with Elijah, this man of God? He takes him out, away from everybody and everything. He takes him to a place of solitude. And all Elijah does for a day or two is sleep and eat. Is that spiritual? Maybe that's the most spiritual thing that you can ever do, is rest, sleep and eat. And if you have to get away from your house and to go to another community and, and, <laughs> and stay at a hotel, maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know. And so he sleeps and he rests. And an angel speaks to him. An angel of God uh, ministers to him. And God says, I want you to go for a long journey. He gets his exercise. He's walking on this long journey. And he ends up on this mountain. And he ends up in this cave. And there's loud thunder and there's loud lightning, and there's loud noises outside the cave. And he goes to the mouth of the cave, and the scripture says, God wasn't there in the thunder. God wasn't there in the lightning. God wasn't there in the midst of all this activity and all this noise or whatever it may be. And he comes back in. And God speaks to him in the quietness of that moment, in the still, small voice and Elijah gains the eternal perspective and Elijah is renewed 
Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together, please?